All right, good morning. My name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors of the church, and it is good to be here worshiping together uh, with the family of God. This morning, we are going to finish our time in the book of Philippians, uh, at least our time preaching through the book of Philippians in this church. Hopefully not like you'll set Philippians aside for the rest of your life. Uh, instead, I, I hope you've enjoyed our time in Philippians. I hope it's been helpful to you. Uh, I hope you've appreciated in some ways its brevity, uh, the way that we have uh, marked up our Bibles and put them into chapters and verses. Uh, it's only four chapters, right? It's, it's not that lengthy of a book. However, you have probably noticed there have been some big truths in this short letter. There have also been some really practical things that we can apply into our lives today and this week and uh, in our lives forward, right? Some specific things that we can apply. I hope you've seen that. Um, and this, this book of the Bible is actually nestled in a section of books uh, that are relatively short and they're similar. They have some big truths and some real practical things uh, one we just read from later on, Jude, like it's not even long enough for two chapters, like it's just verse numbers, right, that you saw that. So it's a relatively short book. Uh, one industrious person uh, decided to time someone as they read at what we call pulpit rate. So the, the rate that Richard just read the text aloud, a little slower than maybe you would read it uh, in your head to yourself, uh, the rate at which I'll read as we get into our text. This morning, so somebody timed someone reading through at pulpit rate. Okay, so just I'm going to read off some of these times. Galatians to read through the whole book of Galatians at pulpit rate, 20 minutes. It's not very long, right? Ephesians, 20 minutes. Philippians, 14 minutes. Whole book, 14 minutes. Colossians, 13 minutes. First Thessalonians, 12 minutes. Second Thessalonians, seven minutes. 1 Timothy, 16 minutes. 2 Timothy, 11 minutes. Titus, 7 minutes. To read through it aloud at pulpit rate. So often we tell ourselves that we don't have time to read the Bible, right? You can read an entire letter. A letter full of rich truths about God and about His people and practical things for your life. Again, the whole book of Philippians, 14 minutes, reading it aloud. Honestly, with technology, you can get an app and you can push it and push play and someone will read it to you. And you're like, I don't like that accent. You can get a different accent. and Somebody can read it to you in a British accent. Right? And you're like, okay, that makes me listen better. Right? You can easily sit down and read any of these from beginning to end, and I would encourage you to do so. So those of us who have been preaching through the book of Philippians... We have summarized the big idea of Philippians like this, that we are to pursue gospel-centered unity for the sake of gospel advancements in all circumstances to glorify God. So that's just a big, that's one sentence to kind of summarize the whole letter of Philippians. And when we do this, we can see that my summary for the sermon this morning fits pretty well within the big idea of the letter. The big idea this morning is this, 
that we Christians are to rejoice God, rejoice in the Lord, sorry, not rejoice God, rejoice in the Lord together in all circumstances and in every kind of trouble advancing the gospel to surprising places. I got it a little bit longer this morning, but I'll say it a few times. Rejoice in the Lord together in all circumstances and in every kind of trouble, advancing the gospel to surprising places. So you probably noticed, like, I even grabbed some of the same phrases, and a lot of those phrases are grabbed specifically from the letter. So we get a big idea for the letter. We get a big idea for this passage. And every verse and passage and sentence that I read and that we talk about underneath these things should all kind of fit, right? So you'll notice the title for the sermon, I Believe I Can Fly. So if we, if we get to a verse in our passage today, and it seems like it is saying that I can fly, maybe we've misunderstood what that verse means. All right? We'll pick it up when we get there, uh, but I want you to just understand where I'm going with this. So pick it up with me in Philippians chapter 4 starting in verse 10, and I'll read to the end of the letter. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Again, the big idea for this concluding section of this letter is that we are to rejoice in the Lord together in all circumstances and in every kind of trouble, advancing the gospel to surprising places. The text is going to really flow into itself. It's just going to kind of go. There's not obvious transitions, uh, but I'll I'll break this down into two big thoughts and then a concluding thoughts in light of Paul's closing. So the first big thought in verses 10 through 13 is to rejoice in the Lord together. 
Rejoice in the Lord together. Paul begins this section uh, in verse 10 with a simple statement of where he is in light of what he's been writing about. And he says that he has rejoiced in the Lord. And so I say to us that we are to rejoice in the Lord. And honestly, Paul has been beating this drum for quite some time. Look back with me at some of the ground we've covered in this book. Chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18, Paul wrote this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So, The Apostle Paul is making a claim. He's going to rejoice. Why is he going to rejoice? Because Christ is being proclaimed. Look over in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Even if, uh, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, What he's saying is, even if I am executed for the faith, and that's the result of my imprisonment. He says, even if that happens, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice in me. We're seeing a theme, okay? Chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brothers, or uh, furthermore, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. And he acknowledges, he keeps writing the same thing. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And then in chapter 4 and verse 4, what we saw last week. Chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He knows he's repetitive. It's okay. He keeps doing it anyway. And then we see it in verse 10 that he says that he has rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now you may be saying, Brian, we get it. We get it. Rejoice in the Lord. Man, that's been like a title for a sermon or the main point of a sermon or a sub main point of a sermon for like eight out of the past ten weeks, maybe ten out of the past ten weeks, I haven't gone back and checked. Rejoice in the Lord. So you may be saying, look, I get it. We, we've seen this. I've been here uh, most of the past ten weeks that we've been preaching this book. Okay, fair enough. I just have one question. Do we really get it? Do we? Are, are we rejoicing more now than we were ten weeks ago? I don't know if we can answer that fully corporately, but individually you can answer that question. Are you rejoicing more now than you were 10 weeks ago? Have you truly been submitting yourself to the Word of God? Specifically this book of Philippians, this repetitive command to find joy in the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord. And have you found deep-seated, unshakable joy? You'll notice that as I read through the the places he talks about it, there's different 
aspects of the Christian faith and about God that he is finding joy in. Notice in this particular passage, there's a particular aspect that he talks about when talking about that he has rejoiced in the Lord. He says that he is rejoicing in the Lord because that at, at length you have revived this. I'm still in verse 10. You have revived your concern for me. And the context here shows that their concern for him is being played out in a tangible partnership. Right? They have sent money or something else tangible to Paul, and it was delivered by this guy Epaphroditus. Right? And so they sent something that Paul's able to receive, and when he receives that, he's like, wow, they're, they're still in partnership with me. They have revived their concern for me. They have revived their partnership with me. In verse 18, kind of explains that he's received something tangible from the hand of Epaphroditus. So he's not rejoicing that he's gotten something from them. He's not rejoicing that he's received money or some other tangible help. He is rejoicing that his partnership with this church has been revived. They have revived their concern for him and revived their partnership with them. I want you to notice that most likely what he's talking about here is money or something very tangible. Right? And I want you to notice that this discussion, this letter, this portion of this letter, that is, seems like it's a discussion like, hey, thanks for the check you sent. Right? He's not focusing on the gift. He's not focusing on the money. Actually, two different times in our passage, he says, not that I really care about that tangible thing. What I care about is this intangible thing that, that comes along with it. This is an important point for us to see. You see, discussions about money are almost never actually about money. Discussions about money are discussions about priorities. Are discussions about priorities. Let's take just a little quick side. So I may have just helped some of your marriages. Right? If you're fighting about money, just do yourselves a favor. Write all the stuff you spend money on, on a piece of paper. Set that aside. Get another piece of paper and start numbering. One, two, three, four, five, all the way down. Right? And then erase all the dollar signs, erase all the numbers, and just prioritize the stuff that you think you're going to spend money on. And have a discussion about priorities, then have a discussion about figures and money and dollar signs and all that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? Discussions about money are rarely about money, they're about priorities. So Paul is rejoicing in the Lord that this church whom he loves has reprioritized the mission that Paul is on. And the mission that Paul is on is to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles. That's the mission that he's on. So he's excited that they have reprioritized and revived their partnership to partner with him in the mission. In fact, Paul goes on a bit of an aside to drive this point home. He says in verses 11 through 13, he says, Look, I'm not in need. It's not like I was going to die if you didn't partner with me, if you did not revive your concern for me. He says he's not in need. Instead, what he has learned during this time of not having this partnership 
He has learned in whatever situation he is to be content. He says whether he has brought low or abounds. Whether he has plenty to eat or is hungry. Whether he has abundance of physical things or if he is in need of physical things. He summarizes the idea in verse 13 by saying that in all these types of things, he can continue, he can persevere through Christ who gives him strength to endure all of these types of things. Now let's bring this here and now besides the little like homework class I gave for some of you that are arguing about money. So two, two big application points. The first one really has nothing to do with the text, uh, which is dangerous. You should be like, wait, what are you doing? You, you should hear that. I have noticed that Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 has been pulled out of Paul's letter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It has been pulled out of Paul's letter and it has taken on a life of its own. I could spend a lot of sermon arguing that point, but I'm seeing enough head nods that I'm going to go with that. If you haven't followed this, that's fine. Don't. Uh, but it's, it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. And so my first application really has nothing to do with what Paul is writing, but instead a point to help you combat that happening to you. Right? That you would take a verse of the Bible, rip it away from its context, and have it create a whole life all of its own that is divorced from what God actually intended. Okay? So what I would encourage you to do is to read entire books of the Bible. Start at the beginning of the book and read to the end of the book. I just told you that I just listed off several that you can do in 20 minutes or less and you can have a robot read it to you if you want. Start at the beginning and read to the end. Start at the beginning of Philippians, read to the end of Philippians. You're like, there was some of that I didn't understand. No, no concern at all. Take another 14 minutes tomorrow and do it again. You're like, man, there was still some stuff I didn't understand. Cool, 14 minutes the next day and do it again. You might be amazed at what comes out that fifth, sixth, seventh time that you read through a text of Scripture. I would encourage you, do not call the verse of the day that your Bible app spits out at you or that you hear on Christian radio and say, I got my Bible in today. Don't do it. Do not take the bait. Dedicate 14 minutes of your life and read a book of the Bible from beginning to end. You want to start smaller? Start with Jude. It's a powerful book of the Bible. Doesn't even have a chapter 2. Just read Jude. Read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Any of them. There's lots of short books in the Bible. Start at the beginning. Pick a book. Start at the beginning. Read to the end. If it's a big book, it might take a couple days. That's okay. Start at the beginning and work your way to the end of the book. Try to figure out what is this author trying to tell me? What's he trying to say? All right, that was an aside that has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about. We just have to combat our culture every once in a while because it leaks in here and sometimes we, we just we get caught up in it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Cool. You can't fly, okay? 
unless you get in an airplane and, and you have mechanical help, you cannot fly. All right? Everybody good? Okay. All right. So the answer to the, the title, no, you cannot fly. All right. So the question, the real application is, are you content in the Lord? Are you content in the Lord? If you never earn more money than you do now, are you content? If 20 years from now you're driving the same car that you currently drive, are you content? If you have to skip lunch today, are you content? If you've got to skip lunch and dinner and you don't eat again till like tomorrow dinner, are you content in the Lord? Would God be enough for you? If you have to live in Jacksonville, North Carolina for the next 20 years, would you be content? Right? Some of you are just waiting for the next thing burning. I can't wait to get out of here. Right? And you call us a month later like, oh man, I made a mistake. I just ran away. I just ran away. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. Trust me, we get these calls all the time. Guys just, ah, I just got to get out. I got to leave. I got to do something. What are you going towards? I don't know, but away from here. Like, okay. Are you content in the Lord? Why is this important? Because like the timeline isn't that long. Right? Everything that I just mentioned, where you live, what kind of car you drive, food, all that kind of stuff, 100 years from now, I would argue that's not a lot of time, 100 years from now, none of us will care about any of it. Right? Just think about the things that you spend your mind thinking about. You spend your time just pondering over, just ask yourself the question, a hundred years from now, will I really care about this? The answer is no. Like We're not going to be in new creation. We're not going to be with Jesus and the saints and be like, man, I really wish back in 2021 that I had a little bit nicer car. I really wish I would have had a little bit more food to eat. I really wish I would have had a little bit more money in my bank account. None of that will matter a hundred years from now. None of it. In that moment, will God be enough for you? Will you rejoice when all you have is the Lord? Perhaps the only thing besides the Lord Himself being with Jesus Perhaps the only other thing that has any business to be mentioned in this is that of our fellow Christians. All the brothers and sisters in Christ who we are partnering together with in this life that will be together worshiping Lord Jesus together. And so what the Apostle Paul is talking about is his rejoicing in the Lord and his rejoicing that this partnership with the church in Philippi is being revived. Will that be enough for you to rejoice in the Lord and to rejoice in Christian partnerships? Is it going to be enough? Now, if we're able to have that kind of mindset, that it is enough, that rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in partnership with other brothers and sisters in Christ, if we come to the place where that's enough, it allows us to do kind of where Paul goes next in verses 14 through 20. 
in verses 14 through 20, we're encouraged to share in trouble together. Share in trouble together. Paul, after saying that he did not need their help because he has learned to be content in all things, he says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. So the word Paul uses for share in the original language is a word that we usually translate with with fellowship, right? That we would fellowship with one another, that we would be involved in one another's lives, that we would get involved and partner together in each one of each other's lives. Paul is thankful for the church in Philippi that they have shared with him. They have fellowshiped with him in his trouble. Again, in this particular situation by providing money and or some other type of tangible provision. Now, I'm not sure about you, but sometimes, I mean, I'm pretty ready to share with other people in their triumph, right? Like if something good is happening in your life uh, and you invite me to celebrate with you, I'm going to assume there's probably going to be like food there and probably good food and you're just going to bring people together and we're going to celebrate and be happy. And, I, you know, I might be ready to jump in there with that, right? Like, hey, come to our wedding. Cool. And there's a reception after and there's going to be like music and excitement and there's going to be food. This sounds great, right? But how often do we partner together Do we join one another? Do we fellowship with one another? Share with one another in trouble, not just in triumph? It's interesting what Paul says. He says in verse 17 that he's not seeking the gift, but he seeks the fruit that increases to the Philippians' credit. Right, so what he's, what he's after here is this partnership. So they share together with his trouble. They get fruit from that, fruit in the gospel. He gets fruit in that. He gets a partnership with them. He is thankful that the giver of the gift, there is mutual blessing that is received from this exchange. You see, so often when we, when we give tangible things, money, food, whatever the case is, a lot of times we give it in this like, I want to be done with it, right? Like, like oh, I, I'll give you this money so I can like be done with this unpleasant situation. Probably the most obvious is, is if you encounter a homeless person who's asking for money on the street, right? Sometimes you're like, man, I don't want to think about this. I'm just going to placate my, my thoughts right now and help them in some way, shape, or form. I'll give them a few bucks and then I can, I can walk away. Sometimes we do that, or, or unfortunately, it's weird, like uh, when the church phone number rings, a lot of times it's somebody like asking for money, um, and not always in the best way, it's a pushy way a lot of times, and they're asking and asking and asking, and sometimes it's like, gosh, if I just give you a little bit of money, maybe this will go away and I can move over here. It's a shame that that happens, but what if instead... If instead of like giving things to move away, instead we move towards the things that we were giving tangible help to? What if we gave tangible help to the things that we wanted to be most involved in? What if it tightened our partnership instead of caused us to move away from one another? I think this concept C.S. Lewis captures just powerfully in his creative book, The Screwtape Letters. I know many of you have read this book. 
Uh, for those of you that have not, it is a creative book. It's a fictional book, uh, but is one where C.S. Lewis uh, decides that he's going to have a fictional demon, older demon, write letters to a fictional younger demon. And the point of the book is to help us see how our minds are being used against us, against God. And so uh, in one particular passage, the older demon writes in a letter to his younger demon protege on how to get a Christian to be less fruitful or to backslide or to denounce the faith altogether. Listen to what he says. The great thing is to direct the Christian's malice, all right, so hate, anger, ill content, direct the Christian's malice to his immediate neighbors, those closest to him, whom he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence, right, giving things to people uh, out of generosity, thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference, to people he does not know. The malice thus becomes wholly real, and the benevolence becomes largely imaginary. You see what he says there? Right? Like, may, so, so this ploy of our minds and Satan helping our minds and demons helping Satan help our minds to be against God is that we would be angry with those closest to us and generous with those furthest away from us. You see how we need to flip this on its head. To redeem this, we must reverse it. We are to be benevolent with those close to us and draw others close and continue building and welcoming the family of God and allow our anger to grow strangely dim as it's those with those furthest away. You may say, why? Like, What's the point? What's the point of that? Why would I want to spend my most effort closest by and then work out from there? Why would I do that? Well, Paul's conclusion here in Philippians is shocking to me. We see in verses 21 through 23, verses 21 through 23, we are to advance the gospel together to surprising places. Advance the gospel together to surprising places. Paul closes with this, uh, starting in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That is a beautiful picture of gospel unity. Paul is uh, talking about, hey, greet one another, we greet you, you greet us. It's like this big kumbaya moment, great way to tie off a letter, right? Just sounds great, we're all, we love each other, we're greeting one another, maybe there's bro hugs happening, right? Maybe there's some heartfelt two-handed handshakes happening, maybe there's some good side hugs happening, talking about greeting one another, right? It's beautiful, but in the moment that he's saying that, he includes a very surprising statement in verse 22. Especially those of Caesar's household. Like, wait a second. Paul, are, are you saying that there are saints, that there are Christians in Caesar's household? Right? This, is, this is the Caesar who has 
Paul in prison for the gospel, and that Paul is waiting to find out if he's going to be executed and his life is going to be poured out as a drink offering, that Caesar who holds in his hand the decision for what's going to happen to Paul, whether he lives or whether he dies, that Paul has been wrestling through in this letter of Philippians, that Caesar, it seems like Paul is saying there are saints, there are Christians who are part of Caesar's household. I don't know if you do this or not, but I, I try to have conversations, not like in a weird way, but in a like as I'm interacting with the text way. Like, Paul, are you saying that? Are you saying there's Christians in Caesar's household? And I, and I believe I'll meet Paul one day and I'll ask him that. He'll be like, yeah, dude, it's crazy. There were saints in Caesar's household. And, and I just want you to notice how he starts and ends this letter. At the beginning, he's talking about he's thankful for the Philippians' partnership. It's not till the end of the letter that we find out this was a partnership that kind of fell off for a while, and now it's been revived recently. And he's thankful. He finishes that it's, he's thankful in their partnership. He starts the letter by talking about, wow, the gospel is advancing as I sit in prison and I'm, I just started witnessing to these guys, the imperial guard, the praetorian guard, like I started witnessing to these guys, man, it's like the gospel has spread to these guys and as they move and transition around, like the gospel's spreading through them as well, like this is amazing. And then he ends the letter by talking about saints in Caesar's household Greeting the church in Philippi. It's amazing. Brothers and sisters, we should be advancing the gospel together into surprising places. One of the challenges we have for this is like inside our own self, right? Inside our own mind, inside our own spirit, right? If we're not careful, we write people off as too far from God. Right? God, I know you can save anybody, but not that guy. We wouldn't actually pray that, right? But in our mind, we, we, we act like that is true. Like, God, I, I get that you save anybody, but not those people. Right? Not someone in Caesar's household. So my question for you is, who have you been writing off as too far from God to be saved. Who is that? Maybe for you it's, it's a specific person, right? Someone that's this difficult relationship for you, whether it's in your family, in your workplace, whatever the case is. Maybe for you it's a specific person. Maybe for you it's a group of people. You're like, God could never save those people. The other thing I want you to understand, so, so who is that for you? I'll tell you who it was for me, uh, and that God's still working through here in a second. Um, but for those of you that are here, and you're not yet a Christian, you're like trying to figure out, like, what's this church stuff? What's this God stuff? Like, what's going on? And you might say, man, if, if God knew what I had done, then I can just stop you right there. God knows what you've done. 
Like it's not a secret to him. And God is in the business of saving surprising people. The guy who wrote this letter, what he was doing right before he became a Christian was he was rounding up Christians and putting them in jail and maybe even having many of them killed. That's what Paul was doing. And now he's the guy taking the gospel to the Gentiles and writing 13 books of the Bible. One of the Philippians, we've talked about this weeks past, one of the Philippians that is probably receiving this letter was a Roman jailer who was keeping Paul in prison and a miraculous thing happened that he and his entire household became Christians. Like, wow. God is in the business of saving surprising people all the time. So do not say that God could not save you. It is quite possible that all the weird stuff that has been happening in your life to bring you here to this point at this time this morning has been orchestrated by God to bring you to a saving knowledge of Himself. And so I would encourage you, do that today. If a member brought you here and drug you here and was like, hey dude, just come on, it's, it's going to be okay. Right? Say, hey, I don't know why you brought me, but like, we got to talk about this. Right? If you don't know anybody here, come, come to me, I'll hang out up here after the service. Uh, come up here and talk to me like, hey, we gotta, we got to talk about this. If you know another member, reach out to a member and talk about this. We've got to do work with this. God is saving people that is very surprising to us. Um, for me, so yesterday, as you know, and if you turned on the radio, if you tried to get away from it, you turned on the radio and the news, uh, it, was, it probably bombarded you. Uh, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Um, and part of me doesn't want to share this because like we got, it was all over the news and all over everything yesterday and probably the NFL is going to do it again uh, today, but uh, I do want to talk about a specific issue. So 20 years ago, uh, I was a, a punk college kid uh, and I uh, had recently been saved and um, I was saved in June of 2001 and I was returning back to uh, many sinful habits that I had started to get rid of my first few months of um, my first few months of being a Christian. I had started to put some things aside for like the first three months of being a Christian, and I started to pick them back up again. Uh, one of which created a bit of a legal issue for me. Uh, September 11th happened. And God revived in me a desire to join the Marine Corps. I had set that aside. I didn't want to do that. But God revived in me to join the Marine Corps. And so on that day, I set out a plan. I, I realized uh, that I had to get the legal issue figured out. So it wasn't until January of 2002 uh, that I walked into a recruiter's office and said, all right, I want to be a Marine. I want to go uh, support and defend the Constitution of the United States. As Jim Mattis says, I signed a blank check to the American people payable uh, up to and including my life, as many of you have. Okay. For that, right, for that, we realize, okay, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to fight those people, right? And if we're not careful, we've done this in every single war we have fought. If we're not careful... We start to think that everybody looks like the people that we're going to stop 
is the people that we're going to stop. Are you tracking with me? All right. So we start, think, we start seeing pictures. This guy, terrorist. This guy, terrorist. This guy, leader of a cell that you have to go do something, right? And we start thinking, everybody that looks like that is that. But it's not true. It's a lie. Right? It's a lie that keeps us from actually engaging with those people. So for me, it has been a journey of about 20 years of walking through the difficulty of going and fighting in wars over there against those people, but also not allowing it to callous my heart against everybody that looks like that. I am so thankful. We said it quickly. We prayed for them quickly because we always feel like we've got a time thing. I get it. But there are Afghans in the masses gathering in Marine Corps Base Quantico right now. Masses. I don't even know what the number is. Last, I, I talked to uh, one of our elders here is actually on the ground doing his day job as a Marine. And uh, another member of our church is on the ground doing his day job as a Marine. And so like, hey, what are the numbers? What's going on? And the last number I heard was 700, but that was like days ago. It's probably well over 1,000 now. And it's amazing how God has been orchestrating some things. So we have four churches up there that we're in partnership with, sister churches of ours, Pillar Dumfries, Pillar Stafford, Pillar Woodlawn, Pillar DC. They're all up there. And they were kind of hanging out. They're hearing it's coming. They're staging. They amass some money. They amass a uh, food trailer and that, that can, a mobile kitchen to feed people. And they're like, we just got to get on the inside. We need access. We need to be able to get to these folks so we can show the love of Christ to these folks. I don't know all the things that have caused God to have this situation in our backyard, but we need to be ready to go into this situation in our backyard. And all of a sudden we get a call and it's like, oh man, one of our elders is getting ready to go, be there on the ground. And maybe there's a window to get access to bring genuine help and bring help in the name of Jesus Christ to these folks. And here's what I think. I don't, I'm not trying to be prophetic or anything else. But I really believe in the months and weeks and years to come, we're going to hear people who are there repenting and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ through this complete mess that has led up to it. All the sin that has happened to lead up to them being in a field at Marine Corps Base Quantico. And I believe that God is redeeming His people through it all. And it's just amazing to see. So this is just, that's like one example of this. But it's true for so many different things. It's true for the person that you're like, the gospel ain't for that person. It's true for that family member that you're like, man, every time I bring up God, they just like scowl me and make fun of me. Every time at work, I bring up this person. Just like God is able to advance the gospel in surprising places. So what we're to be doing is to pursue unity together, centered around the gospel, for the sake of gospel advancement, in all circumstances, right? Whether we ate today or not, whether we got a nice car or not, whether we got a raise or not, none of that stuff matters. We work together, we unify together to make Jesus known among the nations. All to the glory of God. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, you tell us in your scriptures 
that your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We spend so much of our time thinking that we have it figured out. We spend so much time focusing on things like money and stuff when really we should be focused on people. We should be focused on who you are revealing yourself to. God, I'm so thankful for this passage of Scripture. I'm so thankful for... uh, the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 3, lean not on your own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you, Jesus. Acknowledge you, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to not lean on our own understanding, but instead acknowledge you and walk in your ways and not our own. God, we look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. As the uh, musicians come, we're going to continue to respond to the preaching of God's Word. So we're going to respond by singing songs, uh, because the saints sing songs. We're going to take of the Lord's Supper here in a little bit. Um, And I would encourage you to prepare. Like, What do you need to do to respond to the preaching of God's Word? Uh, If you're you're somebody like, hey, I got a lot of questions. I need to examine like what's going on. Uh, commit right now. Hey, I'm going to talk to this person after the service. Uh, if you're like, I don't know anybody, and like that's going to give me social anxiety, like talking to a stranger. Man, we got like a little card in the back there. You can scribble on that, drop it in the box back there. We'll reach out to you later this week. Uh, you can text the number that's been flashed up there a few times, 94,000, right? Hey, I just need to talk to somebody. There's ways to reach out to us so we can have the conversation this week. Let's stand and continue to worship God together.